Greetings and welcome to In the Finest Hour, a competitive 40k podcast featuring trips and tricks you can use in about an hour. This is our crosstalk episode hosted by Shaylin Allen, and with me in the studio today I have Michael West of Oregon. Hello. And Alex of Phoenix and the Patreon. Hey there. The reason I brought the two of you in is you are both coming into 40k as players. And I'm certain you have millions of questions that you'd like answered, and we're just having the newbies ask the experienced person anything they can think of, no matter how embarrassing or trivial. I promise I will answer your question. Before we get into that, I'd like to do some brief introductions so our listeners can get to know a little bit about the two of you. Alex, could you tell me a little bit about your general tabletop and uh, just wargame and wargame-like experiences? Absolutely. Um, so as far as my experience with Warhammer, I started out originally in 1997 when I was eight years old. Um, I started playing in second edition, and then I played in third, fourth, and fifth. Um, I jumped out at six just because of time and everything else like that. Mm-hmm. Between that and now with a, uh, being out and in full swing, I've been looking to get back into the game. Between the two time periods, I played uh, a lot of competitive magic and a lot of competitive war machine. Awesome. Uh, aside from that, I played a bunch of other RPGs and video games, so just kind of a general, all-around gamer nerd. Awesome! You've got a lot of tabletop experience, and even Warhammer experience, just in additions that we're using completely different mechanics. Oh, yeah. All right. Mike, can you tell us what's going on with you? I actually started my tabletop gaming back in 99, 2000, around there, you know, late high school for me. I'm pretty heavy into that. I've never actually played a full game of uh, Warhammer 40k at all, mm-hmm. yet I played a small skirmish with a host, <laughs> and I'm just now getting into it. For context of our listeners, Mike is the infamous boyfriend I occasionally refer to on the show. He's come over to my house and been subjected to me forcing him to play games with me a few times. Uh, I do know you've played uh, a few digital versions, like... Age of Empires and Civ. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the Dawn of War games themselves, but they're not one-to-one ratio at all. At all. No. Good to meet you two. I got into wargaming courtesy of a friend of mine asking me to illegally cast some models. <laughs> nice. Mm. I thought that the models were pretty cool, and the fact that it was a social interaction that was structured was really appealing to me post-college. I didn't really want to lose having a social group. So I... Started painting the models to keep my art skills sharp and playing 40k to like have a social experience and haven't looked back since. It's been fun. Let's let's get to the nitty gritty here. I play Warhammer competitively all the time for years, for a couple of years now, and I have a lot of experience with this game. But I haven't been a newbie in some number of years. I'm a little disconnected from your perspective in a way that I find a little lame. I'd like to open the floor to you two to interrogate me however you will. Ask questions of an experienced wargamer you think need asking. Let's start with you, Alex. What do you have for me? Okay, so this question is more so just coming into 8th as a comparison to the other editions. Okay. Um, My question is really, with 8th edition, we see a lot of detachments and command points and all sorts of other crazy stuff. If you could just give a quick down, like, what exactly is your army usually comprised of? What detachment should we be looking to take? What is a good command point number? Uh, just a general aspect of the game that I have literally no idea how it works. Okay. 
admittedly, uh, six that is when I started playing. So I don't. Oh wait, yeah, they did have this in fifth because the I was using the fifth Grey Knight Codex all of six. So you know how if you took Caldor Drago, he would turn all of your paladins into a troop choice. Oh yeah. Effectively making a special detachment by having him in your army. These detachments in eighth edition are just more. Everyone gets them. You don't have to take a special thing. You just have to fulfill the requirements. Gotcha. So it's kind of like smaller versions of a force org. Yes. Uh, it, basically, you should look at the detachments as alternative force orgs. And they have advantages and disadvantages. For example, a battalion is kind of the equivalent of a com- combined arms detachment of the basic force org that they used to have, which was two HQs and a troop if I, and two troops, if I recall correctly. One HQ, two troops. Yes. So the battalion is the basic one. It's two HQs and three troop choices. And it's the one that gets you a pretty good amount of CP for your buck. A lot of armies will feature at least one because it's a source of five CP. And between the three you get for having a bind force, that get, grants you a total of eight right there. So that's pretty good. Um, if you need a lot of CP, people start looking at the brigade, but the brigade is a lot harder to fill because it involves three elites, three fast attacks, three heavy supports, three HQs, and six troops. For certain armies like Tau and Guard, it's easy to do, but when you start looking at it in context of, like, say, Grey Knights, that barely fits in 2,000 points, the minimal version. You'll see battalions for people getting CP, and I actually highly advise taking at least one battalion in your army, because you do need a certain amount of CP. The minimal amount I would recommend running with is eight, it gives you a decent amount of options, but it's really, really scrawny, and you have to play super carefully. And if you're a beginning player, I wouldn't advise playing that low, because it's going to strip you of options and room for mistakes. What I would consider an army with a saturated amount of CP has at least 12, 12 to 14, and anything that's kind of like 15 and over is excessive. So if you can get yourself in that 12 to 14 range, you have an average amount of CP. Gotcha. And that's pre, pre-game stratagem expenditure, by the way. Because, like, you might want to buy a relic or something, and if that drives you down so that you start the game with eight, but you spent three before you started, that's okay, too. I'm just talking about your overall starting number should be kind of in the 12 to 14 range. It's nice if you can start the game game with at least 12. Okay. On a quick rundown of the detachments... To kind of fill out the, the question is, so you've got the Battalion and Brigade, which are kind of the CP farm detachments. And then you have all the specialized attachments, which is which is basically take an HQ plus three of, three of a specific detachment subtype, like fast attack or uh, elites or heavy support. And what those do is they don't give you a lot of CP, but they let you take a lot of a good slot. If, for example, you have an army where it's like, oh my heavy support choices are the best, that's a great way to slot in three really quick heavy support choices. The three exceptions here is, like, the super heavy detachments, which basically let you take knights, or Magnus or Mortarian, effectively. And then you have the Supreme Command detachment, which is the one that lets you just spam HQs, which is only one HQ plus two other HQs, and you can actually slot in a Lord of War choice as well in that detachment, which is kind of unique. That's how you get a Morty Magnus list working. That's kind of a summary of what they all do. And as I said, they, they vary in CP, what they, give that, what they give. But Battalion and Brigade are the CP givers, and all the others are more of focus your force in a certain ways. Okay. Does that make sense? 
Absolutely. That makes complete sense. Thank you for your patience and waiting through the question. Mike, do you have something to hit me with? Yes. Uh, mine's more so, um, well, I don't actually own an army yet. <laughs> I only own a squad, Creed, Kel, and a female commissar model. Yes. I'm building guard if that's not obvious. Uh-huh. I've actually been tagged along with you to multiple tournaments. Yeah. What would be an adequate amount of practice pre-tournament for your armies? Okay, that's a legitimate question. So, in the beginning, there is, well, I'll be honest, there's no such thing as too much practice. And I suppose I should follow up with the question, are you aiming for a really big event or one of the smaller RTT-style events? Well, like a very, uh, BAO. Okay, so, so you're talking the biggest of the big. So, first thing is, I would advise, is start small. Because I know you've accompanied me on some of the RTT rounds. Start there. Just so you can practice playing three games back-to-back in a day, because that's actually a skill. What I would recommend as a useful amount of practice is try to at least get a game in weekly for like a month, and then hit your first RTT is my advice. Basically, you want to get to the point, and this might vary between the two of you, where you feel confident that you can at least remember what, what most of your rules are, so you're not looking things up every two seconds. You want you can still look things up, but you just don't want to be doing it constantly. Does that make sense? Yes. You want the threshold where, and you might have some, like quick quick reference cards to help you. Like you just have a note card that has all your weapon stance on there, and you've memorized where the weapons are in your army, or at least what they look like. As I said, you can reference that constantly, but it's like I need to figure out what my orders are. Well, you should either have a a card that tells you what your orders are for your guard detachment. Or you should just know what your orders are, options are. Does that make sense? Yeah, that was kind of a rolling into another question I was going to ask, but well, please continue. Prohibrials, like or yeah, gaming aids. Gaming aids. I know there's more than just the models themselves. Like on average, how many dice should one take? Because I played Shadowrun, and that's throwing a brick of d6s until your problem's done. <laughs> All right, so that actually varies depending on the army. You're bringing guard, so if you're running, like, say, a 30 conscript blob, that squad can put out 60 shots, theoretically, in a go, so you're going to want 60 dice or a dice app at that point. I recommend 24 is just kind of a general number, good to have around. That's kind of what I would guess, is just like, you kind of really want 24 dice and have a dice app ready if you plan to run any sort of block units that are large and hefty. Okay, and how would I get a good case for my army? Because I've seen a lot of different ones varying like RC style to just being a box. There's three general case categories, I would call them. There's I rigged something up MacGyver case, which is what most people start with. And then there's uh, two different types of kind of what I would call professional cases. One is a foam case, which is what I own and use, uh, which is basically you encase your miniatures in foam and you put them in a bag and you haul that bag around. Then the other tactic is to magnetize the bases of your miniatures and stick them onto a metal plate, kind of table war style is the company that makes most of these. That's a lot more work your miniatures don't risk kind of clattering and kind of having something press on them funny and snap that one little fiddly bit off, theoretically. 
Josh says they handle aircrafts pretty well. So both work. They have advantages and disadvantages. The table war system is actually quite expensive when you realize you have to buy your own magnets and crap. It gets expensive very fast. I will say most people use foam and most and armies usually show up to tournaments on broken in foam, so that's what I would say there. It is worth investing in a good case. Battle foam is a type of foam. Mm. Yeah, battle foam is a style of case. Uh, I use KR multi-case personally. There's lots of different options that considering you want to play guard, the nice thing about magnetizing is you can just magnetize, is you're probably going to consider magnetizing them to movement trays to save yourself hassle anyways. Like 3D printed movement trays and stuff, so it might be worth getting a table to war system for in that case, because this stuff's already pre-magnetized, already going to be magnetized. And also, taking 70 guys out of foam is a pain in the ass. Alex, do you have any questions? Yeah, uh, mine's kind of uh, shifting a little bit away from the accessories and more towards... Uh, so, in War Machine and stuff like that, and even in Magic, there's a lot of resources to kind of explore what the top lists are, what the top deck is, and also kind of how it plays, just to give you an idea. Uh, is there something similar to Warhammer, or is, a, is there a good resource that we can use to consume data and kind of better idea of what armies do, uh, what they might be uh, facing us with, or anything else? So... There's a few different resources for that. Um, one of the things that we will be doing actually through our In Defiance to Our Patreon services is this style of episode. Well, actually, a few of them will be just us breaking down lists of really large events, majors and stuff. Just we go through the top list. We talk about how it plays and things like that. So that's a resource. Your team would be a resource. And then there are some kind of more official resources like you can see... I'm just trying to think. Chapter Tactics did a little bit of it. Biffpa, Best in Faction does a bit of it. Knights of the Gaming Table has a lot of that kind of stuff. Miniature Wargame, Mini Wargaming does stuff. That British group, Tabletop Tactics. Anyone who does, like, battle report videos would actually be the resource you're looking for there most. The problem is there's a lot of varying quality of both player and not all of them are recreating the ITC top lists. Knights of the Gaming Table is probably the best resource, but unfortunately you have to pay for it. Gotcha. I know they have some free content on there, but I don't know how much it is offhand. Okay. It, as I said, another resource is your team. So if you post a list to, say, the Patreon chat and say, I want to learn how this works and tag me, Sean, and Josh, all three of us will tell you how we think it works when we get around to it and when our various levels of consciousnesses occur. Okay. You do have a resource already, is the good news. As for finding lists themselves, uh, if you go onto the ITC main page and you start searching for where the majors are, uh, you can then look the majors up in BCP if you've got a subscription for that. It's not very expensive, and then you can look at the lists themselves and determine whether or not it's interesting to you, if it's been posted. Do you have any other questions, since Mike got a follow-up question? Um, well, I guess a good follow-up question for me is also going to be gaming related so something that of course we discussed a little while ago and kind of a parallel to magic um is there a lot of what you would call instant or interrupt actions that take place in the game now uh it used to be more of an i go you go type thing but it seems like it has shifted away from that a bit uh can you possibly elaborate a little bit more interrupt actions are often a great way to steal some tempo for yourself and all armies have a few of them. 
So, for example, if an interrupt action is uh, the Eldar Stratagem, which I don't remember the native, but I can tell you mechanically what it does, is if you land within line of sight of a Farseer, the Farseer can say, hey, unit, fuck that guy up. And they can now unload a thing of Dark Reapers into you, or Rangers, or something Eldar unpleasantry you had the misfortune of landing nearby to accept in the face. And that stratagem has the limit of it. it is as if worded as if it was the shooting phase, so you do get character protection there. Um, that is a fun thing you can use against it. But if they use the rangers, your character gets lit up and dead anyways. But that's an example of an interrupt stratagem. Other interrupt stratagems are like Vect, which just says, you can't do that. Nice. The counter spell is always good. Right. Yep, uh, Vect has one, the Cult of the Four-Armed Emperor has one. They're, the big difference between the two is the Vect one costs one CP more, but can be used and all game as many times as you have CP to fuel it. And the for Cult of the Four-Armed Emperor can only be used once a game, but it's cheaper. Gotcha. That's the difference there. The other thing is, uh, other interrupt stratagems are literally the stratagem to interrupt the combat order. The countercharge stratagem is basically once your opponent has initiated a single combat in the fight phase, you can choose at any point after that combat by combat. You can't just do it while they're resolving one. That's not acceptable. But assuming they've made multiple charges against you, you can then spend two CP to like have one of your units activate right then and there. Everyone gets access to that one. So because it's book one. Gotcha. Other types of interrupt stratagems, some some stratagems are like, hold a moment, let me put up my defensive buff, so you have reactionary stratagems. They don't stop your opponent from doing their thing. What they do is they let you react to a thing to make this harder for your opponent. Um, so Eldar have one that's like, I think it's like reflexes or something. Anyways, it makes them an additional minus one to hit. Rotate ion shields on knights, for example, is just like, and I have a higher invul now, so your melted guns aren't going to go through. Those kind of things where it's like they aren't exactly interrupting the action, but they have made the action go from being a good choice to a subpar option. There are a lot of those. They're almost all in the stratagems thing. There are a handful of uh, core abilities that exist, like Grey Knight Brotherhood champions get to pick their stance, so they get to be either more offensive or more defensive, which is a kind of thing that they just get to have every fight phase, and I can change it either way. Okay. It's either on an expensive special unit that you get this, or, or some sort of strategic thing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Mike, uh, you've had a nice little silence break there. Let's go back to you. You got another question for me? Well, I mentioned earlier I'm going to be... My first army is going to be Guard, which is a Horde army from what I've gathered and read. Can be. Now, is there any... Outside of uh, just muscle memory and just going through it, any techniques to actually... Make sure I don't, like, waste time moving a whole bunch of dudes across the board. You mentioned gaming aids earlier. This is where I'm going to bring them back, because gaming aids are literally just labor-saving devices. In your case, movement trays would be really useful. It keeps your guys kind of in a fixed position, but all you have to do is pick up, pick up a little thing and suddenly five guys are moved at once, and you didn't have to move five individual models. There are some tricks, like, instead of... Basically, treat your movement distance as five inches, and then you move the front line, then you kind of shuffle the guys back in a kind of approximate cohesion is another trick. 
And sometimes there's also just the Congo where you take the two guys in the back squad and you set them in the front of the squad, and the only thing you move special is the special weapon. Keep that kind of in the same place as the sergeant, because those guys have specific meaning. But if it's just schmucks, you can just kind of just rotate them forward like a caterpillar. Save yourself some time. There's fast dice techniques, so... If you ever watch me play 40k, you'll notice I group my dice in piles. This is so I can just grab the right amount immediately without having to look, and then I can just roll in my saves and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So you'll find the correct amount of piles and sizes of piles you need for your army, but always leave your dice out and always have them ready in clumps of easy math so you can basically pick up the right amount and go. Another thing is measuring sticks and stuff. You'll be amazed how useful a 9-inch measuring stick is in modern 40k, but that is, like, definitely something you're going to need. 6-inch measuring sticks where you just kind of lay it down and you just kind of start shuffling along the measuring stick. Boom, 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 boom. Because it's like, you don't need to be holding your tape measure out in a funny angle. You just got a stick that's 6 inches long. No questions. There's things like that. Muscle memory is definitely going to be useful here. A surprisingly good time saver is to take like half a minute at the beginning of your turn, plot out your entire turn in your head, and then execute it. Because then you're not sitting there going, did I really want to put this there? Because that consumes a lot of time. Holy crap. <laughs> so it's basically like, pick a plan, decide, go. That is kind of the best and worst thing about Horde Armies at the same time. Honestly, just practice, and I would advise playing... Model heavy, but not necessarily hoard in the beginning, so you can just practice your gaming skills, because you don't have any skills in player speed right now, so you're going to have to build it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's correct. We're, we're going to release an episode about uh, player skill level and assessing yourself, so knowing where you don't have skills is really important. That's something we cover in detail in the upcoming episode. So, in in this case, it's like, well, I don't have any skills moving big blocks of models around. Work your way up to that. Don't just start there. I mean, you can, but understand you're going to be getting to turn three if you're fortunate most games, and that's just going to be a thing. Okay. Alex, you got one for me? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this one's more of a question on tournament etiquette, or rather just gaming etiquette in general. I am an expert of the social contract. Love to help you. <laughs> So this one's uh, actually a comparison to the gaming experience that I have. Um, so in Magic and in War Machine, there is a lot of basically explaining what your intention is and then a agreement thereof. So you can say, it is my intention to be within two inches of you. Do you agree that this distance is equal or, you know, it is where I am going? Mm -hmm. uh, is there some aspect of that in 40k? It's it's something that I definitely know that I will bring into the game. However, I don't want people to just look at me like I have bugs crawling all over my face if I'm asking them like, do you do you agree that this is 10 inches? That is exactly how I play 40k. Well, that's good to know. Then. <laughs> I call it intention play. In fact, uh, not everybody does it. And what you should start with is, I actually start with a little spiel at the beginning of my games, especially if it's someone I don't know, because I'm autistic, and I have occasionally said things that are completely unintentionally rude, but secretly very rude, because I just failed my social role, and pissed off my opponents on accident, so I just start with a, hey, I'm autistic, I play with intention, Here's what intention play looks like for me, and by the way, if I fail my social role, I'm not trying, my intention is not to be mean and rude to you, I've just failed my social role and I'm being oblivious. Gotcha. Please tell me when I've done so, so I can learn and not do it again to you. 
Gotcha. My intention here is for you to have a fun gaming experience with me. And actually, back to Mike's question about speed gaming is one of the fastest ways I've discovered to play, and this is one of the reasons why I really got into it, was A, it stopped arguments, but B, stopping arguments saves you time. Yeah, absolutely. So it's actually faster to say, I am going to put my models here, asking your opponent if they think that's possible. It also makes you very transparent when you're playing, so people aren't going to think you're cheating or anything like that if you are telling your opponent exactly what you're doing with your stuff all the time. Yeah. That said, I don't have to reveal my strategy to them. I'm just telling them mechanically what I'm doing. Right. And sometimes I will tell them, my intention is to trap your, is to try point and trap your unit with these three guys. Can we confirm that I can do this? And some of my puns are like, oh, God, that's disgusting. And other puns are like, oh, that's extremely clever. Good job, Shaylin. You got me. As I tell my opponents at the beginning, I want to beat you with my skill. I'll I'll either just outplay you or I won't. Yeah. So, yeah, no, intention play is great. I've yet to find an opponent that's against me doing that with you. Most of them are like, okay, sure. Especially if you say, I'm new, so I'm just going to play intention style. People can figure out what that means. It's As I said, it's not common practice, but you do need to communicate a certain level of stuff with your opponent. And this airs on the side of over-communicating, which means you never under-communicate, which is fine. Yeah, absolutely. And to kind of tie it to the speed thing, the reason why I ask is because, so for example, in a game like War Machine or even Magic, um, you are kept to a time clock that actually affects your game state. So like in War Machine, if you run out of time, you just lose. Mm-hmm. So a lot of that in playing by intention is actually to speed things up. Yeah. Because if you can get your opponent to agree on whatever it is you're doing, it makes it so you don't have to have discrepancies and everything else like that. And if it's actually a measurement that really matters, you can always call a judge over to get that done, which I don't know if that's a thing in this game. Uh, you can. You can actually call a judge for a specific measurement or confirming something. Usually what I do is I'm like, it's really close. I invite my opponent to come in and the two of us decide what it is. And if we can't come to agreement, we usually roll off. We either roll off or I err on the side of not getting it, Mm. is my personal thing is, if there's any doubt, smidgen of doubt that I can do this, this isn't a definite I can or definite I can't, I will err on the side of I can't, because I don't want to be smidgening my way into doing something and pushing the bounds of it as much as I'd like to. That's kind of where scum play starts to occur and starts to build and the habits start to happen. Mm -hmm. Basically... Take the good approach, as I would call it. Basically, just sit there and like, I am going to be the goodest sport ever. What is the cleanest action I can take here? And the cleanest action is to not do the thing. Gotcha. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So that would be my advice there. I mean, Josh is a living example of what happens when you take scummy behavior to the extreme and then have to deal with the consequences of it later, which is, as he would tell you, not very fun. So that's just my advice there is just like, since you're starting, there's no reason not to start with a clean slate and play clean. Yeah. All right. Uh, Mike, you got something for me? I know there's a lot of um, books and stuff like that, and I own a couple of them. Would it be worth it to either photocopy parts that affect my army to a binder or something so it's easy reference, or uh, should I actually lug around the main rule book, the chapter approved, you know, what my army is and all that stuff? 
So, I've seen a lot of people with binders with the relevant stuff in there. You can totally do that. Okay. I've always thought that was very sensible. Basically, what a lot of people do is they get digital copies of digital copiness, and uh, they'll print the pages they need and just have a physical binder there. Because it's easier to reference through a physical binder than it is to reference through um, something else. And I've seen a lot of newer players do it, and I'd say power to them. You might want to add in a few very common units, like, for example, if you don't take conscripts, you may have a little section in your binder of common guard units other people take, because people might ask you about a conscript rule. Okay. But it's like, my full codex is digital, you still have your digital copy, they can still find it there. It's just more of, you don't really need it in your quick reference too much, but you might. But you don't need the whole thing in there. Um, most of the rule books and stuff is actually are just like fluff and lore and pictures anyways, so you don't need those pages to play. But they're pretty pictures. Yeah, they are very pretty. They are pretty pictures. Since we are recording this right now and the Patreon chat is going live, I did ask them to include some questions in here. This question comes from Preston of the Patreon chat. Given an unlimited budget, what would your dream army be? Non-existent is fine too. The army I'd love to build is Tyranids as dinosaurs. Just like a bunch of T-Rexes running up the table. That sounds pretty awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I'm never going to do it, but it's it's a dream of something I'd like to do someday. Since you two have just starting to edge in, what would your dream armies be? You go ahead and go, Mike. Well, considering I don't have an army yet, but my ultimate fluff thing would be... Sky's the limit, what is it? Okay, pretty much the current Imperium with Castellan and all that stuff, but it's actually the Megazord and all the conscripts and stuff like that are putties and Power Rangers. That is amazing. Nice. That is so, so amazing. Why has no one done that? Because it, it takes a long, long time. They just need to read up on Rita Repulsa. <laughs> Alex, what's yours? Uh, mine is not actually as pop culture My, I have two. <laughs> That's fair. My non-existent army that I have always wanted to be a thing is actually a penal legion army that's straight up designed to be like penal legions with, you know, oh. bad troopers, everything else like that, that happen to be, you know, kind of scrappy in close combat and everything. And then their officers are all just like wardens and things like that. I think that that would be pretty awesome. And then you can just ally in some guard that are just in tanks and stuff like that that can't get harassed or whatever else. Have, like, a guy hanging on the outside of the tank to basically beat off penals if he has to? Exactly. Exactly. You could have, like, the Ar Arbites on top of there just with their uh, batons and water cannons ready, blasting them off if they try to get up there. <laughs> nice. <laughs> pretty cool. Uh, second to that, honestly, is just Dark Mechanicum. I would love to see just hordes of horrendous... Well, they kind of already have it, the demon engines and everything else like that, but I would really like to see some yeah. HQs and then a horde of, like, Chaosi Servitors and stuff like that, and Chaosi Skitari, and all sorts of other stuff. Really, I'll just driving it home from um, one of my favorite Horus Heresy books, which is the uh, Siege of Mars, well, although I don't actually remember what it's called, but that is the battle. Mechanicus. Yeah, Mechanicus, that one. Yes, I've all, I have to have read that book. Yeah, no. So, so my dream one is is the Tyranid Dinosaur Army. Uh, let's see. What, what was I also thinking? Oh, that was it. It was the Ballerina Slanesh Army. That could actually be pretty cool, just given the fact of what ballerinas actually are supposed to be, and that they are supposed to be physical perfection and actually really muscly 
and really fit in order to do it. Yeah, no, the ballerina Slanesh army. I, I thought that one was pretty cool. This is a very uh, newish thing. Is that's the one with the harlequins, right? No, that these we're talking demons. Oh, okay. Yeah, the demons are essentially uh, emotion monsters, and the demons of Slanesh happen to represent um, things like lust and passion and things like that. Okay. I uh, think '80s heavy metal drug sex violence. That's Slanesh. Yeah. Harlequins actually hate them. Harlequins are... Are Eldar, right? Yeah, they're, they're Eldar clowns. Sorry, I'm still learning all the different factions in the U.S. because I've started with the Imperium. Oh, that's fair. You, you've you got a quite a deep hole to go down if you venture into the scumbag Xenos land. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think I learned the important thing is everyone but the Emperor is a heretic. Exactly. And even then, you might still be a heretic. Anyways, before we go too far down that rabbit hole... That that is the Imperium in a nutshell, right there. We don't know if it's a heretic. Blam. Back to the two of you, really quick. Uh, this is going to be kind of our last round of questions here, so give you a second to gear it up and make it a good one. We'll start with Mike. Okay. My question is more so because I've actually watched I've watched you go through a couple tournaments. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with? Um, game fatigue between rounds or matches whatever the terminology between because I know like your average day is what close to 8 hours in the tournament standing it's 9 hours because it's 3 rounds of 3 hours so that's 9 first thing is this is why I recommended RTTs before you started with the majors is figure out if you can do that then there are these lovely things called compression socks I highly advise using um, you can get five pairs pretty cheap on Amazon. They might have nurses' symbology on them, but they work quite well. So the, those are some examples. Uh, another thing is, if you're someone who doesn't have that kind of endurance, sit down whenever humanly possible. Like, if your opponent's moving your models, sit down. That can mean a lot towards getting to the end of the tournament. And sometimes, like, in my case, like, I sling freight for a living. All of the muscles I need to stand around all day are super strong. I don't have trouble standing for nine hours. I do it for 12. But not everybody does what I do for a living. In that case, it's more of, you know, play a few games. See if you can just stand for three hours, just playing a game normally. See if you need to sit there, feel it out. Uh, You might have to do some training, some practice. And this is why practice games are good, is just finding out where your physical endurance levels are and how much you need to sit. And there's no shame in sitting whenever possible at a tournament. Because if you are tired, you are tired. And sometimes it's like sitting as much as possible will just spare you energy you need for the third round. And it's totally acceptable, especially at the beginning, because you're probably not... Let's be honest, this is a very complicated hard game, and very, very new players don't do well statistically. If you're very, very new and you're still learning the rules, it's not unacceptable for you to say, Hey, I'm tired, I'm pooped, I'm done in, I need to stop playing right now. Good game stop right there. There, There's no shame in stopping if you can't physically push through, because there's no reason to hurt yourself over this. This is supposed to be fun. Does that answer your question? Yeah, and I guess that would also help with, you know, not getting burnt out Mm -hmm. with the game itself, if you're just exhausted day one. Yeah, and some people are like, some people are like, hey, I'm gonna go step away from the table and get us some drinks and then consume alcohol, because that is also part of the 40k culture, is alcohol consumption. And that is not necessarily a bad thing, nor is it necessarily a good thing, it just is. 
So that can be a thing. It's like you, you can step away from the table. You can always go use the bathroom or something if you need like a mental break. Because mental breaks are things you'll need too because it can be exhausting to mentally play 9 hours for Hammer. As I said, you might consider working your way up to it. At least testing the waters with a small event just so you have a feeling you know what you're doing. Okay. Alex? So... I guess for my final question, then, um, it would be, what is something that you wish somebody had told you when you first started out playing? What's a valuable piece of information? So, two things. One is, is there's no such thing as owning too many units in the very beginning. Because, basically, the, one of the, you, as you're developing as a player, you're going to eventually need to achieve what I like to call model saturation. And this will let you have the most options for things. You can be very tempted in the beginning to really strongly push for building a certain army, and that is definitely a good thing to do, but don't be ashamed to pick up another unit for an army, because it turns out the more units you pick up, the more units you won't need to pick up later. That's one thing. And another thing is, this game is won and lost by standing on objectives and killing things. So understanding the mission and looking at your actions in terms of mission priorities is huge. It took me over a year to figure that out. I highly advise reading the mission and asking people about the mission and kind of studying what playing the mission means, so to speak, and learning what that is as soon as you can, because that is going to help your success in making good strategic choices right away. Those were me two things. Gotcha. And lastly, even if you like do something awkward and get all of the eyes in the room on you, you'll be fine. As someone who's done awkwards and gotten all eyes on the room on her a couple times now. <laughs> I'm awkward, okay? I do this. <laughs> you'll be fine. Just go in wanting to have fun and you'll probably have fun. That makes okay. sense. My, my personal rule rule with things is 40k is my hobby, it's my thing, it's my passion subject, it's my fun thing. If it's not being fun for me, I need to step back and reassess how I'm doing it, or change something in the situation, because if it's not fun, I shouldn't force myself to do it. Right. Make sure you're still holding on to the fun, because it can be really easy to get caught up in the competitive aspect and then not have fun anymore. And that's not why you're there. You're there to have fun. So you need to hold on to the fun. I guess at the core of it, it's still a game. It's still a game. You should still have fun. Like, you know when they have the thing where it's like, describe your hobby badly, I'm like, I play Barbies with a bunch of boys! Which is what I really am doing. It's just on a very large, sophisticated scale, but it's still Barbies at the end of the day, guys. Yeah, it's War Dollies. Yeah. War Dollies. It's just... The same thing we did as kids, you know, the pretend thing where we just smash two toys together, but we put some rules to it. And by some, you mean a pile bigger than my kneecap, yes. But you can still make the explosion sound effects. That's true. Always make the explosion sound effects. Exactly. Never lose sight of the explosion sound effects. They're important. And maybe if you're fortunate, you'll double table yourself like I have recently and then be able to tell the tale about it. Yeah, I've heard that story like once or twice. It's great. I have a couple different double tabling stories because I've done it more than once. <laughs> I am good at this. 
if you two have any more questions, you certainly know how you can get a hold of me, either by emailing me, messaging me on the chat, or in Mike's case, showing up at my house unexpectedly. Yeah, that, there's still only certain hours I could do that. Yeah. Yeah, mine requires a plane ride in order to accomplish that. Well, if you showed up at my house unexpectedly with a plane ride, you know what? I'd probably let you in wondering what the hell happened. I've enjoyed talking with you two, and hopefully that you've learned something useful that you can carry into your perspective of the gaming world as you're learning the ropes. If you, our listeners, have any questions, you can email me at inthefinesthour at gmail.com. Also message us via Facebook. Join up on our Patreon which will get you access to further episodes like these, which will include up to and beyond uh, list analysis episodes, sometimes just kind of opinion debate episodes, and sometimes just list writing episodes. So it's going to be kind of that backroom talk we often do that we don't really share publicly because it, it just doesn't turn into the professional episode format we like sharing usually. This has been your good host, Shailen Allen, with our guests, Michael. Thank you for having me on here. And Alex. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure having both on. Thank you all for listening. Have a good night.